Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I am Nick. Uh, I'm the family pastor here at City Light, which means uh, part of that is helping guide relationships to be uh, healthy, biblical, and Jesus-glorifying dating and marriages. Uh, So I want to help you guys out. Guys specifically, it is three weeks and a day until Valentine's Day. Just a heads up, want to help you guys out. Not trying to drive a bus over anybody, uh, but heads up, that's coming up. Uh, And we are in the book of Ruth, which can get people thinking about love, because it is a book about love that leads to Jesus. Uh, And our passages today start moving people closer together, start moving Ruth and Boaz closer together. And I think there's a general appreciation for a good love story, uh, where a guy and a girl through a series of circumstances come to fall in love and live happily ever after. And I know the toughest of you out there try to hold back tears where something gets into your eye when in all actuality, something got into your heart, okay? Just admit it, just say it, it's okay. That's a good thing. Uh, Ruth does uh, have a guy and a girl getting together, this book does, uh, and it's a kind of love uh, that keeps returning to God's love, God's covenant love, where he promises uh, to act and be for the good of his people, so much so that he makes a deal with them. He makes a covenant to them that he will do uh, as such. And so this is a, uh, the Lord's covenant love story, and it includes characters. It includes his people living out his covenant love. So there's two kind of loves going on. There's a romantic love with Ruth and Boaz, and there's this covenant love that gets displayed through all the characters. And so before our own ideas pop into our heads about 21st century love stories where they get cheesy and mushy and predictable and flirtatious, uh, we need to see how the writer of Ruth is unpacking their story and what the writer of Ruth is showing us about God's covenant love. So turn to Ruth chapter 2, and uh, I'll give you a little recap to get you there. Uh, So far in the story, the family of Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, they leave the promised land. They leave Bethlehem. There's a famine in the land. There's no food there. And they go to the land of Moab and they get set up for 10 years. They just live their life, live like normal. The two sons, they get two wives, Orpah and Ruth. And uh, sooner or later in that story, um, Elimelech and the two sons, they pass, they die. And Naomi is crushed. Thankfully, the famine ends and the Lord visits his people, it says in uh, chapter 1, verse 6. He visits his people in Bethlehem and gives them food, which is a good thing. And so Naomi heads back with, his, with her two daughters-in-law. And on the way, after pleading with them to make the sensible decision to go back to Moab, Orpah does. She leaves. She goes back to Moab. And Ruth, she stays. She commits to Naomi. She commits to God and his people and goes ahead with her. She leaves her Moabiteness behind and becomes a fearer of the Lord. Uh, and essentially, she becomes an Israelite, a God uh, follower, a God, uh, follower of God. They get back, and Naomi is incredibly sad. She's empty. Her family is all gone. Uh, and her house is in sh- uh, shambles. And basically, everything is gone for her. And she changes her name from the pleasant one, Naomi means the pleasant one, to Mara, which means bitterness, and because the Lord has, bitter, has been bitter to her. And our series is entitled, Where is God When Everything is Gone? Sees this, recognizes this, and asks the question. And at this point in the story, at the end of chapter one, Naomi uh, says that God is still here. He's just been bitter to her. He has emptied her of everything that she has and loves. There is a small bit of hope though, 
Ruth is with her, and it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And while this is a small bit of hope, there are some major problems with it uh, at the end of chapter one. Problem one, Naomi has nobody to carry on the family name. She has no grandbabies to take care of her when she gets uh, even older, and she genuinely cares about Ruth and wants her to find a husband. She said that before, so she needs a man. Another problem uh, is Ruth is a Moabite. And yes, she has committed herself to God and his people and to Naomi, but she's still a lady from an enemy nation with a history of that enemy nation's ladies causing the Israelite men to fall away from God. So she needs a brave man, one that's open, open to marrying Ruth. The Elimelech, another problem, the Elimelech family homestead uh, has been in famine and fallow for 10 years. So they come, and they come back during harvest time. The thing's empty. There's no food there. So she needs a brave man to marry Ruth, who has some means to take care of two ladies. Might be helpful if he's a farmer. Other oh, a problem. It's also time of the judges. People are generally not doing what God told them to do and in, the, uh, in this area of people. And they were instructed to do this in Leviticus 23, 23 verse 22. And when you reap from the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. I know Leviticus can be a little rough to get through in the read through the Bible in a year plan. I get it. I know. But it connects to a ton of places in the Bible, even here. And Ruth and Naomi need people to still follow this law in a after 10 years of famine, in the time of the judges, that is going to be hard to find. So she needs a brave man to marry Ruth who can provide for two people and one that is following God's law. We got some high standards here. And thankfully, we get to Ruth 2. And we get to the first verse of Ruth 2, and it reads like this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Jackpot. This is the guy. This is Bachelorette, the Promised Land edition, where they cut to the interviews to talk to the guys that show up. Only There's only one guy. There's only one guy that shows up. And you know how you can tell right away in the Bachelorette, like, who's going to last and who's going to leave after the first episode? We get this description of Boaz. We know he's staying around. They start with the stud, and he's the only guy here. The Bible calls him a worthy man which is an idea used to describe men of abilities both on the battlefield and off the battlefield, muscles and brains, which usually means they had some income, which means they might be rich, but not necessarily, but they can provide. Dads in the room, this is the kind of guy you want to raise your sons to be and the kind of guy you want your daughters to marry. Moms, this is the guy that brings you flowers when they take your daughter on a date. Ladies, you want to find a worthy man. Guys, this is the, the kind of guy you want to become. This is Boaz. He's the only one. We all start out on Team Boaz in Ruth chapter 2. And thankfully, if he's the only one, God only needs one. And then we get a couple of verses in the chapter to set up for the rest of the chapter that I'm going to read to you. Uh, it starts off with a short conversation between Ruth and Naomi. It reads like this. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Naomi said to Ruth, go my daughter. Ruth basically says, I'm going to go to the promised land equivalent 
of the food pantry. Because the God of Israel has set up a way to provide for the poor and needy folks. And there's no shame in that. He's provided it. And Naomi, still in her bitterness, still in her pain, ekes out two words in Hebrew, three in English, go, my daughter. So there's the other two characters. Another character is in the story in the next chapter. It's God. He's at work, too. Read verse 3 with me. So she set out, Ruth set out, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Well, that's good. You say, Nick, I don't see God in this. You see that phrase, she happened to? That the Hebrew underneath that is like a little wink, like a little air quotes. Like when Abraham sends a servant to go find a, a wife for his son Isaac, and then he goes back to his homeland, and the servant prays, Lord, give me success. Make something happen in my life so that I might find a wife for Isaac. And wouldn't you know it, the next verse Rebecca shows up. She happened to be at the well he went to. This verse, this little phrase is guiding us to see that God is at work in this story. He is pulling strings behind the scenes to make stuff happen. Ruth just happened to go where Boaz, uh, to Boaz's field. He's pulling the strings. And over the rest of the chapter, we see what God is up to, but not necessarily directly through him and what he's doing directly. It's how we see divine image bearers, people, humans made in the image of God, showing covenant love to each other. And that's how he brings them together. So to answer our question for our series, where is God when everything is gone? He is present and at work in the acts of covenant love from his people. He is present and at work in the acts of covenant love from his people. This is the covenant, this story, this chapter is God's covenant love coming through these people. And we're going to see it in three ways. So if you want to track with me, we're going to go three places or three ways that we see this. Number one, we see this covenant love coming through people in Ruth's work, real physical labor. Ruth has made a covenant with Naomi back in the first chapter. And in that covenant, she's living it out and they need food. They are hungry. But Ruth is not a damsel in distress. No, she is a woman with a work ethic. She's a female with some fortitude. She's a girl with some grit. This woman gleaned an entire day with a little breather in the morning and a lunch break. Morning to evening, putting in a 12-hour day in the field of manual labor. The word glean is in this chapter 12 times, just like return was in the previous chapter 12 times. That's what this is all about. And here's what she took home uh, for all that work. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Do you know how much an ephah is? I didn't either. I had to look it up. It's at least 22 liters, up to 36 liters. Do you know what that means? That's a lot. One commentator says that this girl is as strong as an ox. She slung almost 50 pounds of grain after threshing it and gleaning it over her shoulder and took it back into the city and just hauled it over there. She's got some strength here. Why? Well, a girl's got to eat, right? There's two of them, and that amount of grain is going to cover them for a week, going to feed Naomi and Ruth for a week. And she did all of that in covenant love to Naomi. She's doing exactly what God is doing. In the first chapter, we see God visits his people and gives them food. 
In this chapter, we see now Ruth going to work, using her body to pick up stuff, and she's giving Naomi food. She's fulfilling covenant love. Here's where we plug in. We can see love in our work, in our physical labor. The Lord's brand of covenant love comes through real people who can do real physical work, real physical labor. Actually moving our muscles, getting our hands dirty, spilling blood on somebody else's house project, getting our body tired. We can sometimes empty our schedule and empty our energy and trade it for showing covenant love of God to other people. If you have moved and have had friends move your stuff, then you know the covenant love of God. I have moved a handful of times. I've stopped counting over the last seven years. And people have moved my stuff more than I have moved my stuff. Some of these people have carried the same box in three different states. It's ridiculous. That's God's love. A few years back, this is another story, a few years back we were living in Minnesota and there was a cold snap. Like negative double-digit degree temperatures, not counting wind chill. Uh, Thankfully, we were vacationing in the tropical wonderland of Nebraska with family (laughs) and lovely positive degree weather. It was awesome. When we got home, it was still sinfully cold, but we had a little surprise. The water wasn't running. Yeah, I heard the groan. You know that feeling you get when you're about to make a huge insurance claim, that pit in your stomach? That's what I felt. But some things happened, right? The pipe froze, but froze itself shut. No water in the basement, absolutely dry, hallelujah, something happened. And two, Howard, a retired full bird colonel, I think in his 60s or 70s, that guy's immortal, I assume he's hundreds of years old, he came over and spent the rest of that evening and most of the next day rerouting our copper pipes, sweating pipe, working with water in a drafty, uh, cold part of our basement. That is covenant love. Human, a human made in the image of God, showing covenant love to another human made in the image of God. This is how it comes out of us in real physical labor. Just because the love we show is physical labor doesn't mean it's any less godlike. Do not diminish that kind of love. If you have skills with tools or just muscles or simply time to hold a flashlight and move a box, you can still show the covenant love of God to another person. So that's one. That's number one. Boaz shows us our other two. He's a worthy man, now we get to see why. So number two, we see God's covenant love coming through people in Boaz's welcome, the welcome of Boaz. He has done well enough for himself, Boaz has, to own some land, to have some workers, and to kind of guide them along. He's got some leadership abilities, and we're not really given any clues into his physical appearance or stature, just his personal stature. From his position, he notices a humble Moabite woman putting in hours, gleaning in his field. Now, all the law said was to allow this to happen. He didn't even need to notice her. And he could have seen her and just said, all right, let her do it, and went about his day with no care of who she is at all. What does he actually do? He notices her, asks who she is, and when she, he finds out who she is, He welcomes her into his world, into his care, into his people. Here's what the Bible says, Ruth 2, verse 8. 
Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean, go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He has. And, we, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He welcomes her not just to glean the edges of the field, but to glean right after his workers. So as soon as they drop something, she can pick it up. He invites her to stay. He protects her. She can even get water from what his boys have drawn out of the well, instead of the other way around that we see in other parts of the Scripture where the ladies draw water for the boys. This is, this is big. He is inviting her in. And why? Well, he hears that she made a covenant to Naomi, that she has taken steps towards the God of Israel, but just moved here. And so when he talks to her, he calls out greatness in her for committing to Naomi, that she has come under the refuge of God. And Boaz sees himself as a part of that love, of that refuge uh, that Naomi or that Ruth has come under. Here's what the Bible says in verse 12. The Lord repay you. This is Boaz to Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And he's a part of that. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord for the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, Ruth said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. He has welcomed her into his people, into his care. She has a place with him. He also welcomes Ruth to his lunch table and personally serves her. Here's verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Ruth, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers at the table, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. He invites her into his care. He welcomes her into his favor, his kindness, his compassion, and he raises her station up. And this is where we can plug in again. We can do the same thing. We can use our words to invite people in to our care. We can use our words to let people know that they have a place in the kingdom, to move closer to Jesus. We can notice people, be aware of people, let the Holy Spirit move us, let us notice people. He can do that for us and invite them in, give them a place at the table and let them know that they are welcome. So if you are new to Jesus or you've been following Jesus for a while, hear this, you are welcome here. If you are struggling in following Jesus or you're mature, you've been following him for a long time, you are welcome. If you're young or past your prime, you're both welcome. We welcome our students every Wednesday, uh, of nearly every Wednesday of the year, and proclaim the gospel to them, minister to them, disciple them, feed them sometimes, and we want them to be a part of the family of the believe, of believers that is here. We welcome them in. So if you're a person of age, I want to encourage you, if you're a person who's got some years over a student, over a person in school, a kid in school, look them in the face, notice them, call out greatness in them, encourage them in their faith, let them know that they have a place here. They're not a burden, they're a blessing. Speak a blessing over them. Reject the cultural ideas of what the next generation looks like and get to know them and let them know that they have a place in the kingdom. Students, this goes for you too. 
Notice people who are of age who come to you and see you and say, you are welcome here. We're not just young and trying to kick you out. We're young and we love you. We appreciate you. You are welcome at this table. You don't age out of the kingdom. So students, same goes for you. We welcome people into our city groups to join us in pursuing Jesus. We can welcome people into our homes and lives to show them the love of God and hospitality, letting them know that our home is their home, to kick up their feet, take a breather, and be with us. We can notice people give simple invitations to relationship and move closer to them so that they can move closer and feel the welcome of God welcoming them in. This is covenant love, a simple welcome. Where's God when everything's gone? He's shown his covenant love still by our welcome. Number three, still Boaz uh, in this one. We get to see more of how he's a worthy man. It's, we see the love of God in the Boaz's generosity. He invites Ruth to glean behind his workers, and he has his workers later in the passage purposefully drop grain for her. This is more than is required by the law and more than Ruth asked for. Boaz is almost literally giving the farm away. His bottom line is taking a hit. Less will go into the account. And he did this kind of stuff over two harvests. Check out the last chapter or the last verse in this chapter. Verse 23. So she kept close to the young men, the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. If Ruth worked for two harvests, gaining or gleaning uh, a similar amount, an average of what she gleaned that first day, then she likely gleaned enough to feed Naomi and herself for an entire year. This is a ton of grain. Boaz might as well marry her. He's already footing the bill for her. He's feeding them. Like, go ahead and put a ring on it. In the disgraceful time of judges, this is incredible grace. When it's after a famine, Boaz is handing out a feast. He is showing incredible, surprising generosity. So where is God when everything is gone? Well, his love comes through the generosity of his people. Let me call out greatness here in the hills of Cedar Creek City Group. Since August, on every third Monday of the month, this city group has prepared entire meals for the college students, like a buffet of home-cooked food served to them. And this is the kind of, kind of buffet where it's eat until you are full, get another plate, and a dessert kind of food, kind of generosity. Did they know the college students going into the year? No. Do they feed them like their own children or better? Yes. It's a lot of food. This is covenant love. Does covenant love look like uh, generosity that comes through people giving money? Yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. We have seen this in our own local church. At the end of December, we hit budget and still gave about uh, $45,000 split between Gospel Community Church in Rwanda, the church plant City Light, Southwest Iowa, and Karen Share House right here in Council Bluffs. That is incredible generosity. We celebrate that. As a local church family, we all did that. And we see how God is using it. But I don't want to diminish the generosity of the Lord strictly to U.S. dollars. It can look even more like giving a Bible, paying for a Bible and giving it to somebody who's new in following Jesus. Or babysitting and footing the bill for a date for two very tired moms and dads with kids. 
setting up a meal train, and cooking for folks that are in a rough stage of life. That's can what, that can be what generosity looks like. Generosity is a wise willingness to give from whatever you have. For Boaz, it was generously meeting the need of Naomi and Ruth. It was food. For us, it could look like nearly anything, a blessing that God has given that we are willing and wisely giving out to other people in need. That's covenant love coming through human beings, people who bear the image of God showing his covenant love to each other. So we see God's covenant love in three ways. We see that love in Ruth's hard physical work. We see that in Boaz's welcome as he welcomes in Ruth to his life, his table, his place, saying that she has a place there. And we see it in Boaz's generosity. Now you might say, Nick, this is hard for me right now. I don't identify with anybody in the story but Naomi, where I can barely get out two words. I don't feel like I have the means to be generous. I need somebody else to welcome me in. I feel out of place. I need somebody else to lend me a hand. One, would you let somebody know about that? We're family here. You can tell people that. And people are here that would love to show the covenant love of God in real, tangible ways. God cares about that still. So say something. Or maybe you're just struggling with the heart to do it. You hear me, you see the verses, and you're like, Nick, I get it. I understand completely. My heart is just not there yet. Maybe this all sounds good to you. Or maybe you're not even sure if you believe that a God with covenant love even exists. Well, thankfully, there's good news. This covenant love is not just bringing Ruth and Boaz together. It's bringing us closer to Jesus. This chapter starts with God. He is the initiator of all of this. And we remember that this story is a story about love that leads to Jesus. And it's not just the story, it's the love that leads us to Jesus. We see Naomi, depressed as she is, throwing accusations at God at the end of chapter 1. And by the end of chapter 2, she's changed her song a little bit. Ruth 2, verse 20. This is what Naomi says after hearing uh, what Ruth got that day. May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. There it is. That word kindness. If you got a Bible open or something, underline that word. That word in Hebrew is the same word for covenant love, steadfast love, the one that gets repeated, the one that God describes himself. That is covenant love right there. And he has not forsaken the living or dead. However alive you feel today or however dead you feel today, you are not forsaken by the good God because there is good news. God did not forsake people, but he answers this question, where is God when everything's gone? We see it in him and we see it through Jesus and the good news. In the Gospels, the New Testament shows us that God made stuff happen. An angel happened to show up to Mary and Joseph telling them that the baby in the womb was his own son, God incarnate Jesus. And Jesus got to work, real physical work. He got his hands dirty as a carpenter's son, as a healer who touched the untouchable. He healed physical bodies. He worked and walked all over teaching them, teaching people and proclaiming the good news, teaching them truth and proclaiming the good news. 
Jesus is King of Kings, welcomed in sinners to know forgiveness. He welcomed in the broken to know healing, and he welcomed in his followers to be and live like him. And Jesus was generous and ultimately gave his life, spilled his blood to cover our sins and failures, to eradicate evil and death, and then rose again bodily, physically, so that through faith we can get new life in him where we would be welcomed and forgiven into his kingdom, and we would get the gift of the Spirit poured out on us to help us along the way. We'd have good works planned for us by him so that we could be like him. He's got the ideas already. We just walk in them, and we get to look forward to his kingdom on the new heavens and new earth when he returns again. So in your emptiness and in your inability, your, your, your despair, sitting at home depressed, you turn back to the gospel. If your heart's not there yet, you turn back to the gospel. If you're not even sure, if you believe that this covenant love or this God with covenant love exists, you go back to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So the way the Ruth 2 shows us how God covenant love comes through image-bearing, divine image-bearing humans and brings Ruth and Boaz together. His covenant loving, the gospel and Jesus, and we see throughout Scripture, brings us closer to Him and to follow Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You're the God of the universe, a real physical universe, and You show us love in real physical ways, and that we can show people love in real physical work for other people. Father, we thank you that you welcome us in through Jesus. We can go boldly to your throne through him. You welcome us in. We have a place at your, at your table in your kingdom. And Father, we can welcome. Help us to welcome other people. Notice them and welcome people into the kingdom too. To know, let them know that they have a place here with us. And we thank you, Father, that you are generous to us. Most generous, as we see in Jesus, in the gospel, how you gave your only son in the covenant love that you have so that we might not perish but have eternal life with you, so that we could follow him and do good works, good things to show your love to other people and invite them into. Father, help us to remember this. Help us to see it in Ruth and help us to see it in our story as you bring us closer to each other and closer to you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.